0: Well, it's almost Christmas, and that's the day when, of course, we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. So as I've been reflecting on the birth of Jesus, I've also been reading about unusual and unique births that occur in the world each and every year. And I won't uh, bore you with all the stories that I've read, but here's just one of them that I found really interesting and kind of unique. There's a couple in Brooklyn earlier this year. In fact, on February the 29th, 2020 they gave birth to a son. Now of course it's a leap year and they gave birth to their son on a leap day. Well that's kind of unique. It's not really a huge deal although according to a site called pregnantchicken.com the odds of that happening are 1 in 1461. So kind of unique. But here's the unique part of the story. That same couple, four years earlier in 2016, on February 29th, gave birth to their first son. So now they have two boys, both born four years apart, both born on leap days. And the odds of that happening are one in 2.1 million. So kind of a unique birth. And there's lots of unique birth stories. Maybe you have one of your own in your family or in your neighborhood or friends. But the story of the birth of Jesus is entirely unique. It trumps them all. It goes far and beyond any unique birth story that you could dream up. And that's largely because of what Matthew tells us here, in that Jesus' birth was a virgin birth. It was a virgin pregnancy and a virgin birth. Now, why is this so important to us? There's lots of different reasons for that. And I hope you take some time over Christmas to reflect on that, to research that. But today, I just want to stick with Matthew's reasoning for including this detail in the narrative. For Matthew, the virgin birth is so important because it is the sign that the Messiah has come. That's Matthew's big burden. He wants to show to us, to prove to us, that this baby, this boy, Jesus, is the fulfillment of all the prophecies in the Old Testament, including the one that he mentions, going all the way back to Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. The virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son, and he will be Emmanuel, God with us. Now, it's interesting, some people that uh, don't really value the virgin birth They like to point out that in Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 7 and verse 14, the Hebrew word that's used there is the word Alma, which could usually be translated a, a young woman. But think about that for a moment. What kind of sign is that? If Isaiah is saying a sign will be given to you, the virgin will conceive and will give birth. Imagine if Isaiah said a young woman will conceive and have a baby. That's not unique at all. Uh, that happens all the time. In fact, that's the normal way that it happens. But this is entirely unique. In fact, the translators of the Septuagint the Septuagint was a uh, "is," a translation of the Hebrew scriptures into Greek that occurred about 300 years before Jesus. Those translators, when they translated Isaiah chapter seven, they used a Greek word that is specifically a word that means virgin. So they understood. Isaiah's intent. They understood the weight of this prophecy. They understood the uniqueness of the sign. And that's what Matthew picks up in our passage. And this is why it's so important, because this is entirely unique. This is the sign they've been waiting for. This is the promised Messiah. This is Emmanuel, God with us in fulfillment to the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7. However, this passage is not about Mary. Uh, This passage, the focus of it, is actually Joseph. And we get just a little bit of time, a little glimpse of the life of Joseph. And that's what I really want to highlight this morning as we come into this story. What do we know about Joseph? Well, we learn later on in the Gospels that he is a carpenter. Uh, The Greek word is tekton. And that word, sometimes when you think of Joseph as a carpenter, I don't know about you, but I imagine him in some woodworking shop with a bunch of tools, making chairs and and fancy things out of wood. That might not be so accurate. Uh, Wood wasn't so prolific in that region, it wasn't easily accessible or available. So a tecton was really a construction worker that worked with a number of different mediums. It could be wood, it could be stone. It could be some metals. It was a, Joseph was a blue-collar construction worker. He was a tradesman. Score one for the rednecks. Uh, This is Joseph. He's an ordinary guy with a very important job within the community. He's a construction worker. And that's still important to us today. So that's part of who Joseph is. But then we also find out that Joseph is not only this blue-collar construction worker, he is also of royal blood. He is of the line of David. Now, it gets a little complicated tracing Joseph's line and how it comes about, but he is very much in the line of David. And this is important in Matthew's story as well. So even though Joseph isn't the actual birth father of Jesus, he is the adoptive father of Jesus. And because he brings Jesus into his household, he also gives Jesus his name and his birthright in that sense. And so in that way, not only through Mary, but also through Joseph, Jesus is also in the line of David. Well, we also find out that he is betrothed to Mary. Now, some of you know what betrothal is. It's kind of like engagement, only it's a lot more binding and quite a bit more transactional on the business end of things. During the period of betrothal, a couple would spend time in their own homes with their own families. For the bride, for the woman, it was a time of sanctification. It was actually kind of a season where they made sure that she wasn't pregnant with another man's baby. For the man, it was a time of preparation as he got his affairs in order and got ready to start his own family. So this is the season of betrothal. And it was so um, intimate and so uh, intense and so binding that to break it is actually to cause a divorce. So that's the setting. That's a little bit about Joseph as we are coming into the story. But here's the crisis point of the story in our passage. All of that about Joseph comes down to this one decision. Joseph has a decision to make. Because Mary, she comes back from visiting her cousin Elizabeth. She's been spending three months out there. She comes back and, surprise, Joseph, I'm pregnant. What does he do with that? Well, he has a choice to make. He has a decision, decision, doesn't he? His choice is, in his mind, to either publicly disgrace her or to privately divorce her. That's the only two options he sees. He, He doesn't see an option of going through with the betrothal into marriage. He only sees the option of either publicly disgracing her, which was his right, or privately divorcing her, which would protect her and save her and possibly him from shame. So here's his choice. Do I exercise my rights and seek public justice for me and my family? Or do I set aside my need for my own rights and do that which is gracious and kind. That's the choice that Joseph feels he has to make. And thankfully, in his mind, in righteous compassion, he chooses to divorce Mary privately. Well, as the story continues, we learn something else about Joseph. We learn that Joseph was a just man. He valued and he followed God's law. He was a man of integrity. He was an upright, upstanding, stand-up kind of guy. But also we find out that he was obedient. And that's really the key in this passage for Joseph's life. In a dream, a messenger of God comes to Joseph and instructs Joseph to fulfill his vow to Mary, to go through with the betrothal and actually take Mary to be his wife. And the messenger says to Joseph that the baby that is in Mary is conceived by the Holy Spirit. I can only imagine what his mind must have been doing in that to try and figure all of that out. And yet the language that's used there is the same kind of language we find in the creation narrative when the spirit of God hovers over the waters and out of that and out of that connection comes all of creation in the same way, the spirit of God was at work in Mary to form the new creation within her, even Jesus, the son of God. So that's what's happening. And without understanding it all fully, Joseph obeys, not in blind faith, This isn't a leap of blind faith. Rather, it's courageous obedience that comes from love. That's Joseph's legacy to us. And I think it would have been costly. Uh, There's evidence even in the New Testament uh, that the whole uh, mystery of the birth of Jesus uh, was widely known. And the Pharisees may have even used it against Jesus at times. We find in John chapter 8, the Pharisee saying some things to Jesus to taunt him, to push his buttons, to try and get him to say something wrong. One of the things the Pharisees say say is this, where is your father? Another thing they say later on in John 8 is, we, speaking of themselves, we are not illegitimate children. There's some inference there. There's some questioning. There's some pointing out that Jesus may have been considered illegitimate in many ways. And so there's a cost that Joseph must have known if he was going to embrace Mary and take Jesus as his own, as his adoptive son, that there would always be a bit of a cloud hanging over him, that there would be a sense of shame that he would have to live with in order to embrace the command of God, in order to obey God, there was a cost, a price to pay. Well, what lesson do we learn from the life of Joseph in this passage? Well, Joseph almost missed Christmas. He came this close, but his compassionate obedience put him right in the middle of the story. Are you worried about missing Christmas this year? I think there's lots of reasons why people are are worried and anxious about missing Christmas. A lot of it is because we can't get together like we normally do. A lot of our normal traditions we, we can't uphold and can't Uh, We can't visit one another in the same way. And so we're worried about missing Christmas. Every year, though, I often see on Facebook uh, posts from well-intentioned Christian people saying, keep Christ in Christmas. And I know where that's coming from. But sometimes there's this anxiety or fear that if we can't follow through with our traditions, then we will miss out on Christmas. But I think Joseph shows us a different path, a different way to keep Christ in Christmas. And that is the way of obedience. The way to keep Christ in Christmas, the way to not miss out on Christmas this year, is to obey. Obey the commands of God. What are those commands? Well, Jesus makes it really simple for us. He says in John chapter 14, if you love me, and we say we do, That's why we want to celebrate your birth. That's why we want to celebrate Christmas. Jesus says, well, if you love me, then keep my commandments. And what are those commandments? Is that a long list of do's and don'ts? Do we get put on the naughty or nice list? Is that how Jesus operates? No, in John 15, he says the commandment is simple. It's this, love one another as I have loved you. Just as Joseph Joseph obeyed out of love for Mary and love for the law, so we are to obey out of love for Jesus Christ and love one another. So, how do we make sure we don't miss Christmas? Practice the obedience of loving one another. And if we forget what that looks like, here's a little reminder from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We need to practice love that is patient. Love that is kind. Love that doesn't envy one another. Love that doesn't boast or is proud. Love that does not dishonor others. Love that is not self-seeking. Love that is not easily angered. Love that keeps no record of wrongs. Love that doesn't delight in evil, but instead rejoices with the truth. We need to practice the kind of love that always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. When we practice and when we strive for that kind of love, then we keep Christ in Christmas. Then we won't miss out. That's the legacy of Joseph's example in the story. Well, it might be interesting to you to find out that Joseph went on to have other children. In fact, in Matthew chapter 13, We discover that Joseph had at least four other sons that were named in that passage and at least two other daughters. But then he drops out of the story. And I think that's intentional. We're not meant to overly focus on Joseph. And yet he's mentioned for a reason. And he's mentioned to us because of his legacy, because of his obedience. We can see what it is to love and to follow in God's commands. That's the legacy of Joseph, and that's also how we keep Christ in Christmas and don't miss out this Christmas time. Amen.